Beddingfeld. Adventurous here. Until quite recently, my entire life was conventional, safe, and unspeakably dull. But since I came to London, things have happened. I witnessed an accidental death in a tube station, which was followed almost immediately by a murder, which, admittedly, I did not witness. However, I mean to get to the bottom of both incidents. I know they are related because I have information. Well, I have deductions based on clues. Well, one clue. That no one else has. First, I made what I considered a daring move. I presented myself at Scotland Yard and demanded to see whoever was in charge of the Millhouse murder. After some confusion... What do you mean I'm in the wrong department? Sorry, miss. This is the department for lost umbrellas. Sorry, where was I? Oh, yes. After some delay, I was ushered in to see Detective Inspector Meadows. Artists Ensemble Theatre presents Mysterious Journey, Theatre for the Mind. Anne Benningfeld's journey will take her on a sea voyage in pursuit of a killer. From the pen of Agatha Christie, The Man in the Brown Suit, this is Part 2, The Millhouse Murder. Good morning, Miss... Uh... Beddingfeld. I came because... Beddingfeld? Well, why do I know that name? Uh, my father was Professor Reginald Beddingfeld, England's foremost authority on primitive man. No, that's not it. Uh... Ah, you gave evidence on the tube station death. Yes, I've come about the victim in that case. That man had an order to view Millhouse in his pocket. Well, that's true. Quite a few people have had an order to view Millhouse. The house is, after all, on the market to rent. Those other people did not end up dead. A death that, by your own testimony, was accidental. You don't find it odd that the doctor who examined the body never came forward at the inquest? Well, he's a busy medical man. Perhaps he missed the notice in the papers. You seem inclined to find nothing odd about the tube accident. I'm inclined to think that young ladies dearly love a mystery. Oh. Come now, don't be offended, miss. You've asked questions and hinted at something sinister going on. Just say, straight out, what's on your mind? At the scene of the accident, a man pushed forward to examine the body, saying he was a doctor. Nothing unusual about that? That man was not a doctor. And why do you say that? Because he felt for the heartbeat on the right side of the victim's chest. He... are you certain? Yes! I didn't realise at the time, but I knew something was wrong. I worked it out when I got home, that's why his examination looked off. Hmm. Don't you see? While pretending to examine the body, the man could have taken anything he liked from the dead man's pockets. Uh, possibly. Uh, can you describe this man? Tall, broad-shouldered, dark overcoat, black boots and a bowler hat. He wore a, a pointed beard and gold-rimmed glasses. Take away the overcoat, the beard and the eyeglasses, and there's not much to go on. He could alter his appearance in five minutes if he was a professional pickpocket, as you seem to suggest. I suggested nothing of the kind, but... I can see you are not interested. Leaving, are you? Well, just as well, unless you've anything to add. Just one fact. His head was noticeably brachycephalic. He will not find it easy to alter that. Good day. I marched straight from Scotland Yard to the home of Lord Nasby, the millionaire owner of the Daily Clarion. I had no illusions that an unknown young woman would be admitted to see the great man, but I was prepared. At the Fleming's home, I had spotted a calling card from the Earl of Loamsley. I promptly confiscated it and pencilled a note on the back. Kindly grant Miss Beddingfeld a few moments of your time. Not entirely ethical, but adventuresses cannot afford scruples. It worked. A footman took the card and, shortly after, Nasby's secretary appeared and escorted me into the study and left me face to face with Lord Nasby. 
Well, who are you? Lumsby's secretary? What's he want? No idea. I've never met the Earl of Lumsley. I stole his card from a tray in the house where I'm staying and wrote those words myself. It was imperative that I get in to see you. You're a cool customer. Very well, young woman. You see me. If you interest me, you may continue to see me for exactly two minutes. It's about the Millhouse murder. Another one who thinks she's found the man in the brown suit. Write to the editor. Please don't interrupt. I haven't found the man in the brown suit yet, but I'm quite likely to do so. Dear future reader, you already know this part, so I'll skip the bit where I told Lord Nasby about the tube accident and my conclusions about the counterfeit doctor. His first question surprised me. What do you know about brachycephalic heads? Oh, my father was Professor Reginald Beddingfeld. Ah, the monkey man. Well, well, you have a pretty sharp mind yourself. Still, what you've got so far is very thin. Not much use to us. I'm perfectly aware of that. What do you want, then? I want a job on your paper to investigate Can't that. be done. We've got our own men pursuing the story. But I've got special knowledge. And you just told me all about it, didn't you? Lord Nasby, you must know I've got more up my sleeve. Oh, you have, have you? Bright girl. Well, what is it? When the doctor ran for the lift, he dropped a piece of paper. I picked it up. It smelt of mothballs, as did the dead man. The doctor did not, so I knew the sham doctor must have stolen the paper from the body while he was pretending to examine it. The paper contained words and numbers. Let's see it. No. No? I'm terribly sorry, my lord, but it's my clue. You are a bright girl. And you have no qualms about withholding evidence from the police? I went to Scotland Yard to hand it over, but the detective in charge insisted that the tube accident had absolutely no connection to the murder at Mill House, so I kept the paper. Besides... The inspector put my back up. Short-sighted fellow. Very well. Here's my offer. Keep investigating. If you turn up anything, anything publishable, send it in, and you shall have your chance. There's always room for real talent at the Daily Clarion, but you've got to make good first, see? Yes, thank you. Also, I should apologize for deceiving you to gain entry. Don't mention it. I rather admire cheek from a pretty girl. By the way, you said two minutes and you've already taken up three. Get out. My scheme had worked. All I had to do was make good, as Lord Nasby put it. Back in my room, I studied my precious piece of paper. What did the figures mean? There were five numbers with a dot after the first two. Seventeen, one hundred and twenty-two. I added them, subtracted them, I tried substituting the corresponding letter of the alphabet. A, G, A, B, B. Hmm... I decided to focus on the words. Kilmorden Castle. Sounds like an ancestral home of an aristocratic family. Oh, maybe there's a, a missing heir, or perhaps the castle is in ruins and somewhere on the grounds is a buried treasure. Clearly, I needed to pay a visit to Kilmorden Castle. I consulted Who's Who, Whitaker, Ancestral Homes of Scotland, and A Guide to the British Isles. Nothing. There was no Kilmorden Castle. But why would anyone invent a name like that and write it down? I was stymied, but then I had a brilliant notion. I would visit the scene of the crime. Detectives in stories always do that, and they always find a clue that the police have overlooked. A short time later, I pulled off a successful masquerade as a prospective tenant for the housing agent in Marlow. I had in my hand an order to view the property known as Mill House. Ten minutes later, I arrived at the caretaker's lodge. Stop it! How many times have I got to say it? No admittance to the house. Orders from Sir Eustace himself. I'm that sick of reporters. Go away! 
There seems to be some sort of mistake. I was told this house was to let. Here is my order to view the property. Of course, if it's been taken. Dear me, I do beg your pardon, miss. I've been hounded day and night by the press till I'm half mad. No, 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 the house ain't been taken. Nor likely to be. Why not? I do hope it's not the drains. Oh, Lord, miss, the drains is all right. But surely you've heard about the foreign lady what was done to death in this very house? Oh, yes. I believe I did read something about that. The Daily Clarion's put up a reward for information leading to the capture of the man. What did it? The man in the brown suit, they're calling him. Nice-looking young chap he was, for a murderer. Had a kind of soldierly look about him. I dare say he was wounded in the war. Them boys that was wounded sometimes go queer in the head after. Perhaps the woman had done him wrong. You can't trust them foreigners. She stood right here on me doorstep where you are now. Really? Was she dark or fair? One can never really tell from the papers. Uh, Dark hair, white face, crimson lips. Gave her name as Mrs. De Castina. Beautiful, but kind of, I don't know, cruel-looking. Know what I mean? I do indeed. Did she seem upset or ill at ease? Not her. She was smiling as though she was amused about something. You could have knocked me down with a feather when the next day another couple went in to view the house and come out screaming, murder! How dreadful for you. I shall never get over it and that's the truth. Why, I wouldn't stay on here at the lodge if Sir Eustace himself hadn't gone down on bended knees. I thought Sir Eustace was in the south of France. So he was, miss. He returned to England when he heard the news. Truth be told that bended knees was a figure of speech. "'Twas his secretary, Mr. Paget, what offered me double pie to stay on, and, well, money talks. It certainly does. The young man now, the man in the brown suit, he looked upset when he arrived. But I'd never dreamt of anything wrong, not even when he came back out again looking as if he'd seen a ghost. How long was he in the house? Oh, not long, maybe five minutes. And was he about six feet tall? Yeah, about that, I should say. Clean-shaven? That's right, miss. Tell me, was his chin shiny? Well, I... Now that you mention it, miss, it was. However, did you guess? Oh, I <laughs> I uh, read once that murderers often have shiny chins. Fancy that. I don't suppose you noticed what kind of head he had. Just the ordinary kind. I'll just fetch the keys for you, shall I? I took the keys and headed to the house, thinking. I'd realised early on that the differences between the man in the brown suit and my counterfeit doctor were superficial. An overcoat, eyeglasses and a beard. The accident victim, mothball man, and the foreigner, Mrs. De Castina, had planned to meet at Mill House. They both obtained orders to view the same property, making their rendezvous look like a chance encounter. But then, mothball man saw someone, probably the doctor, and panicked, falling to his death. After searching the body, the fake doctor discarded his disguise and headed straight to Marlowe in pursuit of the woman. And if he had removed his fake beard hastily, traces of spirit gum might still be on his chin, leaving it shiny. I felt terribly proud of my deductions thus far. Millhouse was dark and forlorn and filled me with an unaccountable feeling of dread. Shaking it off, I went upstairs to the murder room. Sadly, there was nothing interesting to see. Square room, large windows, plain walls and a bare floor. I searched carefully, but there was no message scrawled in lipstick on the mirror. In fact, there was no mirror. 
Drat. I got out my pencil and paper and made a quick sketch of the room. As I was returning the pencil to my bag, it slipped and fell to the floor. Mill House was very old and the floors were very uneven. My pencil rolled steadily until it came to rest under the window. Well, under the window seat beneath the window. There was a gap with just enough space for me to insert my hand and grope about blindly. Naturally, my pencil rolled to the furthest corner. At last, my fingers touched it. And something else. My hand closed on a hard cylinder and I withdrew it. It was a roll of Kodak film. Didn't I tell you that an amateur detective always discovers an overlooked clue? Suddenly, I sniffed suspiciously. Did I detect mothballs? I held the roll of film to my nose. <laughs> Aha! A tiny piece of cloth had caught on the roll and it reeked of mothballs. Do you understand the significance? At one time, this roll of film had been in the pocket of Mothball Man, which meant that the counterfeit doctor had taken the film as well as the paper when he was going through the dead man's pockets. It was he who had dropped the roll here, possibly while struggling with the woman. Next step, develop the film. On my way back to town, I took out my paper again and studied it. Could the numbers be a date? 17, 1, 22. The 17th of January, 1922. Today is the 14th. I've got just three days to locate Kilmorden Castle, a place that doesn't exist. The next day, I took my precious roll of film to be developed. Good morning, miss. Good morning. I'd like to get this film developed right away, please. Of course. Your prints should be ready in... Oh. What? You've made a mistake, miss. No, I haven't. I want prints made. Right, but you've given me the wrong roll. This film is unexposed. It's... no photos? Not on this roll. I see. Thank you. I've walked away from the grinning clerk with what dignity I could muster and headed back down to the street, berating myself for being an idiot. Then, just as I was passing one of the big shipping offices, I came to a halt. In the window was a large model of one of their ships. It was labelled the Kenilworth Castle. I opened the door and went in. Uh, excuse me? Yes, miss? Kilmorden Castle? Departing on the 17th from Southampton for Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, would you like first class or second class? Oh, I'm not... How much is the fare? First class, £87. That's it. The exact amount of my legacy. First class, if you please. The Man in the Brown Suit was adapted from Agatha Christie's novel. Part 3, Aboard the Kilmorden Castle, is next. Our cast features Sarah Waddle as Anne, with Stephen F. Fertle, David A. Gingrich, Ian Garthwaite, and Richard and Margaret Rather. When stages around the world went dark, Artist Ensemble Theatre began producing theatre for the mind. If you can, please consider donating to AET or become a patron by pledging monthly. Learn more at artistensemble.org. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>